Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back here to talk racing again. Joe, how are you doing? I'm just fine. How are you doing? Doing pretty good for a Thursday. It is Thursday. That's all I got about it. <laughs> it's been a long week, man. Yeah. I, I laid on Tuesday, I laid 5,000 square feet of sod, myself and my crew. That's That's a lot a lot considering you could like i was i was talking to my parents i'm like you realize i could carpet your house twice over with that <laughs> amount of <sun." laughs> why'd you have to put it down we're just we're doing some trials at work uh-huh. um we're gonna be doing a full regrassing of the facility in 2027 so kind of what you do behind the scenes the membership really isn't going to know any different once it gets cut and blends in but the idea is that you go, I want to try this grass. I want to try this grass. You put it in some weak areas. So like high traffic, shade, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you go, all right, this is performing well. We're going to go with this in 2027 across the whole facility. Uh, so it's it's a good way to kind of test things out without just going. Like, all in. Yeah, going all in on something that you heard about is pretty good. Makes you can sense. actually see with your soils and whatnot how it reacts. So Makes sense. Yeah. But it's it's not fun laying that much sod. That's a lot of sod. And yeah. what you most people forget about laying sod is oh, it's just you just throwing the tiles down, and then you know tidying up. It's like yes, but there was a lot of prep work prior to that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pull all the the old crap out and everything. So. Yeah, fair enough. So other than that, I'm tired. That was the moral of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so a normal week for you then. Lots of work. Yeah, yeah. Lots of physical labor in the hot sun. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we also had a lot of racing this weekend. Okay. So a lot to cram in to this episode, um, but some pretty interesting conversations actually. Which so you're I'm saying no tangents? To. No tangents. Okay. We went from an episode of nothing but tangents to this week. We might not even get all should, through. Should Should we have like a like a code word like the what's the? I I don't even feel like a I can safety. say this safe safe <laughs> word. Yeah. Should we have a safe word? Safe so word. if we start to get too tangenty, we yeah. <laughs> Pineapple. Yeah, yeah the, safe, the safe word will be street circuits or okay. balance of performance. <laughs> You're just going to end up on a different tangent. <laughs> anyway, the uh, first one we'll talk about was uh, Indy at Iowa in the okay. cornfields. Yep. Um, I have to admit, I went into this race. It's an oval. Yeah. With, I feel like that we need to say that. I went into it with a bias because um, I actually like queued up to watch it. And I was like, okay, we're at an oval track. And then I saw it was two uh, races at the oval. And I was like, oh, God. So that caught me off guard because I tuned in. I was like, oh, I'll watch on Sunday, whatever. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, in the first race. I'm like, what do you mean the first race? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> no idea there was a first race. Didn't, didn't didn't even, not even sort of, didn't pay attention, didn't see any of it. So. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this previously. I don't really understand the idea of having two races. I think you just diminish... I I think the only people who benefit from that are the people that are there on Saturday. And even then, I don't know. It's just, I'd rather just see one race, personally. I agree. I agree. I mean, it just doesn't, it's it's a race weekend, right? Like, the whole point of the weekend is that you have the qualifying on Saturday, and then you have the race on Sunday. Yeah. And it's, for me, I like it when there's higher stakes with the main race, you know? Like, I mean... Could you imagine setting up like a golf tournament where Thursday and Saturday were, or er, Friday, yeah, yeah, Thursday, Thursday Saturday were one thing, and then Friday and Sunday were one thing. So you have both days ending on, you have one tournament ending on right. Saturday and one tournament ending on Sunday, but at the same property, 
But what what if did two people win that? You know what I mean? It's like who won the weekend? Right. That's like, yeah, that's what I struggle with, yeah. S- silly. But anyway, they did it. They decided it was a good idea for whatever reasons. <laughs> um <laughs> Joseph Newgarden got the win on race one. Not not too shocking there. Yep. Uh did a great job. Uh, apparently he's won at Iowa quite a bit. So it, yeah, it's sort of his track. I think they call him like the king of the corn or something yeah, like something that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, it was I don't know. I like I said I went into it with bias because it's an oval, but also sort of some interest because I don't I don't like ovals, so I was like, let's see what this is about. Yep. And about ten minutes into the race I was just like It confirmed your priors? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, okay, we're all going really fast in a circle. And um, the track is so short, which there was a lot of people saying that it'd be really exciting because it's a really short track, and they're still going pretty fast. They're doing like 170. Oh, um, yeah, they're moving. Yeah, yeah, down the straightaway. But they caught lap traffic so fast. I swear, like, <clears throat> at least in the second race, um, I swear it was like lap eight or nine or something like that, and they were already at lap traffic. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what, how, how did this happen? In like, the we're first, not even at the first pit stop yet. Yeah, in the first race, Will Power, who was like running fifth or sixth got lapped and i was like what is this <laughs> I was like, this is so strange yeah um and i thought it was kind of lame because you know this this is the actual reason i thought it was lame is because the leader was just fighting traffic the entire time it felt like the outcome of the race was who could deal with the traffic the lap traffic yeah and it was especially awkward when you're coming up on a car that still has the right to fight the leader mm-hmm. because they're about to go a lap down which they can fight to not go lap down uh, instead of letting him buy. But that's just like a recipe for, I guess you could say it's a recipe for drama, but for me, it's just like, it didn't feel like racing. It just yeah, felt like It's drama for the sake of drama. Yeah. It, it's the exact same logic, just, it's the same logic as DRS, right? It's passing for the sake of passing. It's like, guys, we got to pass. It's like, well, yeah, boy, did that feel hollow. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because we'll talk about that later. Yeah, no especially kidding. Especially Hungary. Um, I mean, I feel like you could achieve the same exact thing on these ovals, these smaller ovals with any cars, by just putting about 60-mile-an-hour RC cars underneath orange traffic cones and just have them run around wherever. Because at the end of the day, it's like, all right, it's not the same lap that you're running as the previous lap, but it doesn't mean anything. Do you remember in Forza 4 there was a game mode where you tried to pass as many cars that were slower than your car as possible around a track? No. but It It was like a trials mode. Okay. Um... That's what all I remember like. is just hot laps and drifting, man. Yeah. That's all we ever did. <laughs> yeah, but that's what this was like. It was like New Garden was in a GT3 car and everybody else was in like a Ferrari 458 and he was yeah. just trying to get around them when he could. And the line got so dirty, or offline got so dirty that it was really pre- precarious to pass. We saw so many people just barely get offline and it was into the wall. Like, they were off the throttle, just trying to bring the car back, and it just went straight. Is it a new surface? I didn't hear anything. No, hear it's just the anything. dust and the marbles that get up on the high line, yeah. because they had a lot of green flag running. Okay. Because they only clean it, you know, obviously, when there's a yellow flag or something. And so it got dirty, and it's like, literally, it was inevitable. If they had too much green, green flag running, somebody would get high in the marbles and the dust and crash. And, and create a yellow so they could clean it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the cycle starts again. But it meant that... There really wasn't a lot of options. And so I think you saw the leaders or people who were lapping lap traffic. Like, you couldn't really take risks. You know, you had one line and hope that they played ball. And if not, you were getting a really, you know, sketchy situation with somebody who's a lap down effectively. Mm -hmm. You know, which is 
it's a different kind of racing, I guess. And maybe if you've grown up with that kind of racing at that kind of track, it doesn't phase you. But I just didn't find it to be interesting. My biggest thing is it just doesn't suit those cars. Like I, yeah. I get that. I, I do get the oval for NASCAR. I, I understand it. I just for Indy car, it. it but they like can a, bump and draft and just run really close yeah, to exactly, each other. Exactly, contact can be made. You can see them little little wiggles here and there. Like if if an Indy car bumps another Indy car, even though they handle contact pretty well for open wheel vehicles, yeah, that, there's no wiggling. It's not like oh, oh I'll get it sorted out. It's like oh yep there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> no. But I, I, it's interesting because, uh, and so Newgarden ended up winning the second race too. Um. So he pretty okay. much. <laughs> so the guy we said is the king of corn. Yeah, dominated. Yeah. Um, but Boy, that that puts him high up in the championship then. Yeah, it really helps. Because he was, I think they were saying he was sixty. Go ahead and make your point. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, but yeah, Newgarden won the second race, and the second race I think was a little bit more interesting. Uh, but overall it was funny because I looked at it as like just kind of eh, okay, not a fan of this oval thing. Uh, didn't really seem that exciting. And then I saw like several reports that were like the sponsors were super happy with the race and people were like, oh, super exciting race. And I was like, did, did I watch the same race or? Yeah, I didn't find it particularly to something interesting. Else? I didn't I, like I didn't mind it. It was it was racing on a Sunday as far as I was concerned, because, yeah. again, I didn't remember that Saturday existed. Uh, so it was racing on a Sunday and I was like, OK, I'll, you know, I'll tune in here and there. Um, as I mentioned to you before the podcast, the Open Championship was on, so yeah. it was a little difficult to watch that. Um, but yeah, not a, not a, certainly not the most exciting race of the season. I would say it was worse than the, all the street circuits. Like I'd rather watch the street circuits than that. And yeah, you know, it's I'd, I'd rather watch Indy than the street circuits, most of them. Yeah, um, but like Indy has a lot of excitement around it, and I well, really, it's really not an oval either. Well, yeah, but it's also really fast. It is, yeah. And that adds an element to it. Watching them race at this track is like, I don't know. Maybe it's it could be entirely me. I went into it with a bias, whatever. But I just, I would not, I'll, I will not tune in to Iowa next year I, at all. I will, like, no. I probably will again because it's just a, another race on the calendar. But, like, I, I'd be really curious to, like, talk to one of the engineers or even one of the drivers right not not a fan like i want somebody that's actually been there designed the car or driven the car previous driver whatever to explain to me how during these starts or restarts right some dude can just get on the high line (laughs) and pass like seven cars just out of nowhere it's like yeah what what setup is different here like there's if if the high line's that fast or if the draft is that effective how is everybody not figured that out and also doing that why does one car just decide yes yeah, screw all you guys i'm going around like wh- yeah. where does that come from because we saw it multiple times at least during the second race again i, I yeah. didn't watch the first one so maybe it didn't happen one time in the first oh it, it did okay <laughs> yeah I, I don't know because i get physics but yeah that shouldn't do, doesn't physics apply to everyone so why is not like I don't understand why everyone doesn't do the same thing. Where where is this disconnect? I don't know, and it's it's weird to me too because Indy cars are all the same. It's a spec series, mm-hmm. and yet the leaders lapped like all the way to fifth fifth place mm-hmm. basically. And it's like 
okay, that's kind of weird. <laughs> right. But like, but let's even, all agree that's weird. It is. But even the leaders on these restarts, it's not like they left. No. They didn't yeah, Somebody disappear. random in the field just like gets a jump. I yeah, don't know. Some, some dude in 10th decides, screw it. I don't like 10th. I want to be in third. And yeah. you're just, what? <laughs> yeah. You're like, he's not even in contention. And then, you know, or at least in that moment. And then 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, he's in third. And now they're like, oh, and so-and-so is making a run uh, for the lead. And you're just like, where did, how did he get there? Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe it's push to pass. I suppose, yeah, that's part of it. But it does seem like the setup of the cars makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, they were commenting that, you know, New Garden's car looked pretty good. Obviously, he won the race. But, um, yeah, maybe it's a track, you know, like Sebring, where it's you have to set the car up right or you're not going to have a fun time. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I just wasn't a fan of... His car did look very comfortable on the outside where most people did not. Yeah. yeah. So it does make sense. But yeah, it was just... That that caught my eye multiple times, and I was like, I don't... I don't understand. I don't get how this works. <laughs> yeah. I I wasn't uh, a big fan at the end. I don't no. know. I don't know what to say. I, I feel bad, because I don't want to just trash on ovals and stuff and like i said it went into it with a bias but you, you can I, appreciate I don't... ovals without appreciating that particular oval in that particular yeah. race i just it's so short i just don't like watching people get lapped all the way to fifth and i can't even tell who's in the lead half the time because there's just cars everywhere slow cars fast cars cars everywhere yeah you know that's one thing i've noticed with indycar this year is like i, I have a i have a hard time and it's not just this year it's just i feel like i noticed it this year uh, I have a hard time keeping track when pit chaos starts to occur. I have a hard time keeping track of who is in the lead. Like who, like, you know, in formula one, they kind of siphon down. It's like, okay, this guy, this guy goes into the pits. He makes his change. He's in six now, but obviously the other five guys ahead of him have not pitted yet. It's fine. He's still in the lead. Yeah. It'll sort itself out in Indy. It's like, I mean, that guy might not take fuel. Like I, I don't know. I have no idea if he, it, he may come out in fourth. Like, I just get lost, and it's and I think I feel like it really gets um, exacerbated at at um, exacerbated overall. Yeah, like but at, yeah, it like it's well, very you go obvious. like a lap down if you take a pit stop. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> literally, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is weird, and uh, it always seems to ha- it doesn't help that they change their liveries every race either. Um, well, I thought it was on what Polo went back to the livery he had at Indy. I know, I'm so confused. <laughs> I, I wonder if they just like did they sign a contract for only doing ovals like that livery maybe but i will die on that hill i think that is the most annoying thing as a fan watching i don't, I don't like it when formula one brings updates to their liveries like just yeah. roll with the livery you've got for the year yeah if you want to do like some detailed tribute thing or the indy 500 indy 500 fine like yeah that's, go do whatever you that's want. its own thing yeah. i get that but <laughs> Like it's like for oh, the rest of the, the year. next race is sponsored by this company. So and so is going to have that livery on their car, and you're like, "What? Yeah. Why him?" Yeah. And the next race, it's somebody else that does it, and you're just like, "I don't know what's going on." Yeah. At least use the same colors. No, I I totally agree. Yeah, it's almost as preposterous as having the Qatar Airways um, Hungarian Grand Prix. That's kind of funny. Actually. <laughs> I hope they sponsor. Uh, what like uh I'm, they may sponsor other races i just saw that and i went uh, what that's <laughs> <laughs> like before back when they did the russian grand prix it'd be like the american airlines russian grand prix 
that would be weird. Hosted in the middle of the Cold War. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, one piece of drama in the second race. Well, I say drama. I don't really think it was drama, but I'll describe it. So you know, at Indy where they did the red flags, which were clearly so that they could have a green flag fight to the finish. Yeah. So we talked about liking that. Yeah. So they did that. They didn't do it again, but a similar situation happened where there were, uh, I don't remember exactly how many laps were left, but toward the end of the race, there was a caution. They uh, didn't open the pits. And it's funny because Indy apparently has, in the rules, a rule that says (laughs) that they can abandon procedures, which is kind of funny. (laughs) So a rule to to defy the rule book. (laughs) Uh, and they use it basically in it's situations. It's like the most dictatorial thing yeah, I've right? ever heard in my life. Oh, by the way, uh, rule five is that we don't have to follow the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that it's rule five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. And they used it here. And at the end of the race, they're like, hey, we want to finish under green flag. So pits are closed under the caution. And you're just like, and people got mad because they're like, oh, like, what is this? At Indy, you did the red flags. Here, it's this caution. You close the pits. And they're basically just like, yeah, well, here's... They they basically throw this rule at everybody go, yeah, we can do whatever we want. And that sounds ridiculous. And it's funny. But let's be real. It's just a sport here. And also, I like the idea of doing what you have to do to finish under green flag. I agree. So, I agree. That's, that's why I was all for what they did at Indy. Yeah. And... Even though it's not consistent, that's what people are upset about. It's not consistent. They can basically do whatever they want. And to some degree, you know, if you are cynical, you could think, okay, they can kind of control the results of the race that way. That was my first, because I'm a cynic. Yeah. That was my first thought was like, oh, well, they probably want Newgarden to get both <laughs> wins then. Yeah, that that's true. They, they spent the entire pre-race, the entire, like, all the publicity prior yeah. to the race, even starting the race weekend, even starting, they're like, Newgarden, 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 yeah. Newgarden. Yeah, so, so I I get this I get that side. Yeah, I think that's healthy cynicism. However, I like the idea of finishing under green. Flag, totally agree, and I'm for it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I have to just say that <laughs> that's just such a funny rule. That's a great rule. <laughs> that's a great rule. I bet you Formula One wishes they had that rule. Yeah, except Formula One is governed by people who would abuse it. And it would we wouldn't be saying, oh, I'm so glad they have their rules so they can do the right thing. Well, I guess I mean they they sort of just do it anyway. Like we talked we talked about the track limits at the Red it. Bull Ring. They were well, just kind of like screw it this time. Well, not that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that and of course all the drama around uh, Max and Hamilton. That one rule that supposedly was inconsistent mm-hmm. with uh, other rulings. So they still do it. Yeah, but they do it in a in a way that's just. They don't need. They, do they don't need more, to write the rule. They do it in a more European way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, you are. No, we're not. <laughs> uh, um. So we'll uh we'll wait. We'll hold off on Formula One because there's a lot to talk That's about. That's fine. There. I I don't intend to keep probing at it. Yeah. I feel like I am. But uh, we'll go to IMSA. So IMSA we had at Lime Rock. I I didn't even know. That's fine. <laughs> I'll tell you why it's I, fine. It's it's not because I don't enjoy watching IMSA. I, I don't keep track of when yeah. the races occur. I should probably use the Motorsports in Focus calendar on the website. There, there is a calendar there. 
I, I should use that. <laughs> I'm not very good at being a co-host if I'm not I, using that calendar. I've given up trying to watch them live, though, because I just don't have... I was going to say the schedule. It's not the schedule. It's my personality and unwillingness to watch something live. But I have found a way, finally, to watch replays consistently, so I'll just watch it whenever. Okay. And um, so I was able to watch it. It was at Lime Rock. It's a good track. Yep. But they don't run the GTPs there, which is pretty disappointing. Okay. Somewhat understandable, but I'm less understanding of it because they used to run GTPs there. I think it's fine. It'd be cool, but whatever safety, I don't know. What I mean, it, it doesn't feel like an IMSA event without your prototypes, does it? It really doesn't, especially this year with the GTs because we don't have GTLM. We have GTD Pro, which... Really? Do they run the LMP cars? No, no, and no LMP threes, no, no GTPs, so no prototypes whatsoever. No it prototypes. Was just a GT race. GTs. Yeah, and the Corvette's really the only factory entry in the pro category. You know, the others are sort of privateer pro categories. Um, so, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but it's hard to like if you were to watch a European GT three series race. You know, it's a bunch of privateers. Um, that's kind of what it felt like. And also, for whatever reason in the broadcast, they didn't include, like, the team name or the type of car, like, the mark in the standings whenever they had the standings up, which was really annoying because you're trying to follow this race, and it's like number six is in the lead. And you're like, okay, now i got to, like, squint at the TV and try to figure out what car is number six. Yeah. You know, why couldn't it just be Aston Martin number six and be like, okay, that's obviously that team or hard right. of racing, well, whatever. And it's, and it's not it's not the prototypes where you're like you're used to these se- sequence of numbers typically being with this team. Yeah, exactly. So nobody knows what number six in the GT GTD. Well, yeah. I mean, somebody knows. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I guess was, I guess if it was a nine eleven or a nine nine one two, then you would know who it was. Yeah. Well, it also doesn't help when you have like, for example, a couple of the teams have a GTD Pro. And a GTT GTD M car with the exact same livery. Oh, the only difference is the mirror, color of the mirrors. <laughs> I hate when they do that, man. <laughs> and so I'm like, watch. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the leader. Mind- and I'm like, oh wait, no, it's not the. I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind it when they're running two cars. Like, I think Porsche used to do that at <clears throat> when they were running the GTLM, and they had their like both their cars had the exact same livery but one of them had one color mirror and the other had the other color yeah. mirrors in the same class yeah that's fine in fine. the same class yeah but when they're in different classes i got real confused real fast yeah without all the inf- other information all i had were the numbers on the car it's it's one of those things where when the the higher ups at imsa are sitting back going how come more people don't watch our sport <laughs> you go this this yeah. right here guys but look they normally like, do that and the, the broadcasts are usually great i don't know for whatever reason maybe it's because i watched the replay and it doesn't have the graphic that doesn't make any sense to me i don't know why they'd be different i don't either i don't i don't feel like they would yeah that'd be more work so yeah it was uh but it was refreshing i have to say after watching uh indy around the oval and then formula one open wheel racing is inherently less exciting and then go to going back to gts i'm like ah yes this yeah. is this is why i love sports car racing they're in the dirt they're sliding around yep. they're bumping into each other yep this is great <laughs> that makes sense yeah and, and it's a good track it's a boring track but it's a good track it is a good track it's unfortunate because i think it falls prey to psychology 
um, in that drivers will tend to, you know, your highest percentage move is down the main straight into turn one. Mm -hmm. And so realistically, what ends up happening is, and because the lap is so short, people are just going to wait to make that move until... I can follow you all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think happens a lot in Formula One where it's like, oh, I'll just wait for DRS the next lap. It doesn't work. Wait for DRS the next lap, you know, because that's your best chance. So why would you take the risk somewhere else? When does that happen in Formula One? Yeah. If anything, in Formula One, you're at a disadvantage if you pass somewhere else and then the other person gets DRS down the straightaway. Yes. But we'll save that. (laughs) (laughs) There There are a couple things that we consistently hate on. And I'm just... Street circuits? Street circuits, balance of performance, <laughs> DRS. We were more open to balance of performance than than we had been. When, when, when it's about, done right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure I put that quite as high as street circuits, DRS, and the FIA. Yeah. I think, what, what ranks but highest? Our, that, I mean, maybe we need to make a bingo card for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just think that's really funny because you get bingo every episode. <laughs> Like, oh, there's uh, Street Circuits. Yep. There's BOP. Joe said it again. There's DRS. Yep. <laughs> and Joe got mad at the FIA. Okay, yep. there we go. Yeah. We're all done. It's, it's... <laughs> the whole card is full. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There were some dumb moves, though. Uh, there was uh, an incident going into turn one where somebody just completely missed their breaking point And just, it was like. Send it. Yeah. I watched it, and I was like, oh. Hey, that's happened to me in iRacing before. That it was that kind of move. So it wasn't even like a there wasn't brake failure or anything. It was oh just no, a he just up. sent it way too deep on yeah. the inside. Good for him. Yeah, it was uh, unfortunate. Um, and uh, there was a weird incident where one of the McLarens just lost it. Uh, when he, I, I assume he was trying to come into the pits, and just kind of lost it. Um, but other than that, it was um just a good GT race, kind of hard to follow. Who ended up winning? Uh, it was. Both hard of racing Aston Martins in the GTD Pro and GTD Am. Mm. So, great weekend for so them. conspiracy. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Also confusing, because when they were both leading, like I said, it was like, oh, this is the... No, that's not the overall. That's the other... Wait, there's also two Lexuses, and there's two... I don't know what's happening. And, of course, the mirrors don't correspond with each class. It's not like every car ha- or every team has red mirrors for that class. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. It is. Okay. But still confusing. Hard to see on TV. Yeah, fair. Especially at speed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, yeah, that's kind of it. It was, it's nice. Like I said, it was refreshing after watching Formula Cars to watch GT yeah, Cars. Yeah, that's fair. Although, I just wish they would run the GTPs. That'd they should. So cool. They should there. I at mean, least do doesn't... a separate race for the GTPs or something. Yeah, I mean, if you want to put the prototypes in one, now, there's your explanation for a Saturday-Sunday, right? Exactly. Go ahead and run the GT cars on Saturday, run the prototypes on Sunday, boom. Done. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. You're welcome. I agree. Why aren't we commissioners? Uh, just chance, I guess. I mean, I don't Random chance. I, I'm I'm happy to throw it. I'd be, I'd be the guy sitting in the corner with like a bourbon or something like that, and they're like, what does this guy have to say? Solution, but don't hire me. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd have that many solutions, but I feel like... I got some confidence. It's like, okay, I can, I, I got this right. I, th- I, th- I think you, I think you do well in that role. <laughs> Bourbon in the corner, man. Yeah. 
He'd be like an advisor that nobody knows about. Yeah, you know, feet up on the desk. Yeah, somebody comes over. Oh, this crazy thing happened. You're just like, no, just do this. I go, okay, I guess you think that'll work. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, just give it a whirl. Fine. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yeah, I'm pretty. That's sure. a there's a bingo card thing yeah, right there. You there. Go. What could yeah. go wrong? I I feel like I say that way too often. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sorry. Go on. Now let's get to F1. Okay, there's a lot of different stuff to talk about. Is um, there? Yeah, actually, because there's different topics per se, per chance. Um, first. Red Bull breaks the record. Oh yeah, okay. I guess so. Before we continue, really quickly, yeah, go ahead. My, if you were gonna ask me, Joe, would you th- would you think of the race? There was literally one thing that happened the whole race. Max won. No, Guan Guangzhou Yu was an idiot, and then outside of that, nothing else happened. That the was whole the race. start, right? Yeah, yeah, that was so, not great. I, I like go on with the rest of your because I, I I didn't pick up on the journalism lines the way you did. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> That was literally all I got out well, of it. Well, the best summary that I saw was a video on Instagram that was a lights out and away we go. And then it immediately cut to Max Verstappen wins the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that was yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah. That's what happened. Um, but yeah, they broke the record 12 wins in a row, including the win last season. So 11 this season, one last season, which is the record in Formula One for consecutive wins. Yeah, congrats which, to them. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, it's 35 years since that left. That record was set by McLaren. Uh, interestingly, with, with what I would say are two better drivers. Uh, yeah, back then. Yeah. Um, interestingly, also both Honda powered, which is a weird didn't coincidence. Make, didn't make that connection. Yeah. Huh. It's wild. Yeah, it is. Because if you were to ask me what two teams like without, it, it, all right, if we weren't already previously speaking about this, and I hadn't already known that. Red Bull was on on the pace. You just like bar trivia, right? Like yeah. somebody that knows Formula One. Yeah, response is probably going to be uh, f- Ferrari, right? Like you know, it like <laughs> not Honda. Yeah. So uh, congratulations to Honda. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, no That's, kidding. Especially because when they first got into these new uh, V six turbo engines, they really kind of struggled. I think a lot of people just sort badly. Of, yeah, badly. Yeah, they counted. It them was out. embarrassing. Yeah, and they've really recovered, and obviously now. <laughs> this is a recovery? <laughs> it's a pretty good recovery. Like this is just success at this yeah. point. Um, so pretty amazing there. Also, McLaren's pace is legit. It wasn't just Silverstone. No kidding. I That shocked me. Yeah. That shocked me because we had talked about that um, at Silverstone because it's such a different track. It's like, okay, if they actually do have the pace here at Hungaroring or not. Yeah. Yeah, Hungaroring. Yeah. yeah, sorry. It made me, it's, when I said that, I was like, Red Bull Ring? No. Um so when we say that, like, do they have the pace here? Okay, yeah, they do. Wait a minute, these are very different tracks. If you got the pace here and there, you're fast now. This is this is different. Yeah, yeah no, they have legit pace. I mean, also Hamilton on pole, which was interesting. Um, yeah. Although Horner said that they compromised the setup of the car. I heard that as well in the interview. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It was interesting because it worked. Oh, I would assume they were like, we need to win this race. But it's interesting that they're like, we're going to compromise qualifying so we can have pace in the race. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I mean, call me crazy, but isn't that the goal of every race weekend, to win the race? Yeah. Yeah. So why aren't you doing this every time? Yeah. No, it seemed pretty effective. I thought the same thing as well, but I think it's, I would imagine that we all know how difficult it is to pass at Hungaroring and how quickly 
battles can turn into contact mm-hmm. because it is it is a really good track. Yes, this was a boring race. It's really but tight. It's, it's a good technical track. There yeah. is not a lot of time for you to just sit down. Like you can't. You, there's no just. Okay, we're back on the straight. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just chaos throughout the entire, not infield, but you know what I'm saying, yeah. like the non-straight, and then it's outside of that. It's like, okay, now we're, I can breathe for a second. Okay, back into the chaos yeah. again. Yeah. So I I do get it here as opposed to somewhere else where it's like, yeah, we we can use DRS to just escape everybody. Although, we'll get into the DRS thing now. The double DRS is stupid. Well, it's doubly as stupid as the single DRS. Yes. Which is stupid. But I, it's amazing to me that they're like, hey, guys, what if, what if, hear me out. Didn't they do a triple DRS a couple of years ago in some race? I thought, like, it, Saudi Arabia it or wouldn't Bahrain surprise or something. Me. The problem is there's a single detection point. Oh. So the detection point, when you're behind, going into the main straightaway, yeah. you get DRS. Yeah. If you pass that person... Yeah, you get it again. You, you get it again. Now, I know they've done that before with other places. But there was, I thought there was always two detection points, and it's just sometimes you're mid-pass and you're behind, technically, so you still get the DRS and they don't. Yeah. Like, there's weird coincidences like but that. Like, but I, who, who looked at that was like, yeah, that makes sense. I, why is there a detection zone to begin with? I agree. Like, can we not... We You're telling me, Formula One does not have the technology to determine how far behind, in timing any given car is from another car at any point in the circuit. Oh, they have that exact timing at their fingertips. So why do we have a detection zone? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. That it, That is the equivalent of having the technology to split atoms and asking how to do it, and then a guy hands you a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe if you swing that hammer... <laughs> Hard enough. <laughs> but well, hold on, hold on. If you swing enough hammers at the perfect angle all towards each other and they were shaped with the right uh, hammer Conical heads, figure. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, I mean, that's that would work. What, a man with one flat hammer. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, get, you get my point. It's like, yeah. guys, we're, we're, <laughs> we have this technology and we're just going, nah. Yeah. Nah. It is. It is weird, and, and I'm <laughs> I'm doing my best to not just absolutely rant about DRS and say things I've already said a thousand if times. You, if you would like to rant, go for it, because I'm happy to sit idly by for this okay. one. I just this race really. I have always hated DRS, not because the effect that it has on racing. Just I think, like I mentioned earlier, the psychological effect that it has on the racing if you have a 90 percent chance of passing down the straightaway why would you risk any kind of move anywhere else you're not gonna do it you see it every single weekend with Perez yeah because he's terrible at qualifying apparently that's we determined this but he yeah he just sits sits back it's gonna be straight coming up and I'm around yeah that's every it. time and that's it and I'm sorry but I just I don't really think that's racing there's no racecraft. it's like i said earlier in the episode what formula one and the fia were looking for was more passing they got that they got more passing yeah the problem is it's just passing for the sake of the statistic it's just passing for passing and it's passing down the straightaway 
And oftentimes, like we see teams like Red Bull who have so much pace down the straightaway that they just get around on the we, straightaway, and it's like, oh, he just passed him like and he we, would on the highway. We saw it in the previous generation with Mercedes. Yeah, they did the same stuff to everybody at all of the Mercedes. I mean, do we? F- I I feel like Formula One has a very short memory. It was not that long ago that Williams was the second best car in the grid simply because they had a Mercedes engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it just it's it's stupid, and I think it has a psychological effect the same way that the uh, air turbulence had a psychological effect. Where if a driver knows or thinks that they have a low percentage of passing, like I just can't stress enough how important psychology is in that area. You know, just imagine yourself in that position. You're like you're like struggling to get past instead of digging deep and trying to gain whatever advantage you can you just go oh i'm stuck in wake turbulence so it's not I, my fault i you know? actually thought i agree i actually thought of something during the race and i had forgotten to bring it up until you said that as i was watching the race i had the moment where i went i actually think that these cars being able to follow closer does not increase the battles and increase the the racing it actually inhibits it because what happens now is they're able to get so close that as soon as they get to the straight, they're guaranteed the pass now Oh yeah, because of the DRS. Whereas yeah. before, they had to battle just to stay there to then still be within a second. It's so easy now to get within a second that it actually creates a problem where they're just, all right, well, I'm that close. I mean, I, I got to two tenths down, entering the straight. We're fine. Like, yeah. we're going to pass them. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. If you know in your head that... Let's throw out some theoreticals here, because I don't know the exact numbers, especially on a given track. I'm going to hold you to these numbers. Okay, please do. Uh, let's say the advantage down the straightaway of DRS is a quarter second. Okay, so would that be two twenty-five hundreds, right? Is that math right? I'm yeah. bad at math. No, you're fine. Um, and let's say uh, you can get into a gap of two hundredths of a second. You are guaranteed to get past them with DRS, and let's say you get to within that gap uh, halfway through the lap, there is literally no reason to pass. Correct. You have a 100% guarantee you will pass them down the straightaway. It doesn't mean that there's not work throughout the lap to remain there, but yeah. these drivers are so good that that's a that's a thing. They That's not difficult for them to do. I, I really think, like, with this new chassis upgrade that they put in, what is it, three years now that we've had it? Two or three years. Yeah. I think it was 2021, right? I so want to say it's the third year. Yeah. So this with this new chassis upgrade, this is just blatantly obvious to me that there needs to be no DRS. Like, I know we said this. Um, obviously, the listeners of this podcast aren't going to aren't gonna know this, but we, we were saying this for years prior to, uh, prior to this chassis upgrade that they need to get rid of DRS. I think it's only more true now. Because the cars are allowed to race. Because they are, like, there is actually the severe reduction in turbulence. They are able to follow closer. It does look like they can battle more comfortably and do it for consecutive laps without having severe tire degradation and, and whatnot. Like, there's there's a lot of reasons why what I see watching the race is I go, if we didn't have DRS, that battle goes on for three or four or five more laps, and it's way more fun to watch the race. Yeah. Now... Like you said, they just wait and they sit back. Before we had these chassis upgrades, it was kind of like, 
look, if they battle for two laps, the guy's out of the track, literally out of the race. So he can't, he he actually can't battle. So there was never an opportunity. So the only pass you're going to get is with DRS. I actually think we have now exceeded the the justifiable lifetime of DRS. Mm. Almost like uh, you're viewing it, or how it should have been viewed, you argue, is a short-term solution. And now the cars are in the right spot that you can take that Band-Aid off, and we should be good to go. Correct. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. And, and I, if you want us, if you want to add something to cope with the DRS, we've talked about it before. Some sort of push to pass. They used to have a push for the Kerr system. Yeah. If you want to do that as a solution, I am okay with it. But I don't, I I don't see that the the justifiable livelihood of but DRS. But you can use push dead. to pass anywhere. Of course, but you always were able to. Yeah. But you see, what I'm, but DRS they have these zones. Yeah, well, and so you guarantee at that point in the track, that's where you're going to see stuff. We've happen. said it on multiple episodes. We, I would love to see it. You can use it anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you want to take that risk, go for it. I just think it's. But it was very evident uh, here, which it, which surprises me because this is not an uh, a. It's not a DRS heavy track. It never has been. No, but they give you the double. They give you the twofer. Yeah, and it's like which I don't remember if they did in previous years. Yeah. I, I remember it being a thing last year for sure. Okay. But but I'm trying to think. Like I, I don't know if I they had a, I have a very singular... distinct memory of, of Ricardo and Alonso battling when Alonso was in the Ferrari and Ricardo was in the Red Bull. Great battle, right? Yeah. I don't remember there being two DRS zones in that. I think there was, but there might have been two, two, two detection zones. Like, whoever got past then gets the DRS coming in. Okay, so they were able to get back again. Yeah, sort of come back. Yeah. But, but now it's like, even if you screw up on the straightaway... You can still hit DRS again coming out of the corner yeah, exactly. into that other turn. So I, I think the you get inherent, two chances. I, I feel like the inherent issue there more than anything else is that you have back to back DRSs. Yeah, that too. Like that's a problem. You should like if you have a DRS like Sebring would be an interesting location for DRS, right? Because yeah. what you could do is coming out of the carousel, you could have a DRS, and then down the ma- the back straight, you could have DRS. So it's it's not a ton of DRS, but you know, well, like you're separate. You've separated those two corners with allowing the drivers. To, like, if you make a mistake, you can't use your second DRS immediately to save your ass for that from that mistake. Yeah, it's something I just thought of. Um, <laughs> DRS as an implement as a tool is actually completely backwards because if you look at this from an agnostic point of view, where you're just like, we want maximum action possible. Wouldn't your goal to be to maximize the time that the cars are in close proximity? Of course. So wouldn't it be true that you want DRS to be used everywhere except when the cars get within one second of each other? Yes, but your logic for why they implemented DRS in the first place I think is incorrect, which is why it fails. Why? Because they didn't want action. They wanted passing. You see what I'm saying, though? I understand entirely what you're saying. And you, like me, yeah, are what most I, I what I believe most racing fans would like. Is that just more battles? Action. Yeah, I yeah. want to see con not contact, but maybe I, yeah, maybe a little bit of contact. Yeah. Bang it, bang it out a little bit. Solve solve the issue with. Yeah. Well, they've gotten so risk averse in F one that it's like if there's yeah. a single incident, it's like the end of the world. That's why you're seeing like the way they get on the radios now to complain that somebody pushed them off the circuit even a little bit. I was actually really disappointed in Lando moaning on the on the I radio because I, I, I thought that he was one of the few drivers kind of like Ricardo always has been where he's just 
whatever gets thrown at me, I'm good, and, and I'll roll with it. And then he kind of moaned on the radio, and I was like, I didn't think I, that was you. Like, I, yeah. I get it. I mean, I'm oh, not, I still don't I'm not like, saying I'm above it, that I wouldn't do the same thing in the same scenario, oh, yeah. but it's kind of... I just uh, don't like hearing it. I, I don't like... I feel like sometimes they kind of expose the drivers at their lowest points with these kind of moments also. Yeah, but that's their job. I don't blame it. I don't blame Formula One for doing that at least. No, no, but I'm just pointing out that, like you said, I guarantee in that position I'd be like, he totally pushed me off there. I, I might not be thinking he pushed me off, penalize him, yeah. but I'm going to let the team know I'm pissed off about it. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that if you had some sort of system that enabled cars to close the proximity to each other, that would do a lot more for the excitement of the races than just for them to spend a bunch of time super far away from each other. And then when they do get close when something's about to happen, they're like, oh, let's just get him by. Just let him by. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, what? I, I would be interested to see, like, could you develop some sort of system on the vehicle where the DRS flap is open up until the point that you pass them and then it closes to 50% or 45% because you wouldn't want it to shut immediately, right? Because that, that would create an immense like parachute effect and just heavy drag. And I, yeah. I actually think it would be a negative. I don't know for sure. I'm not a aerodynamicist. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you could... It, what, what I would like is, again, we have these... like th- There's no way on this track, every, every single track that Formula 1 goes to, that they don't have the pinpoint location of every single vehicle. So as soon as the GPS... Uh, inside the vehicle of one car, the car with the DRS passes the vehicle that doesn't have the DRS, then there is some sort of arrow penalty for that car having made the pass. Like, it's a you, you got the reward to go get the pass. There's your DRS, right? Once you got the pass, it's not, it's, it's a penalty in the, in relation to the fact that you previously had no, like you had a, you an advantage. It's just, it, I guess it's more of a reduction in advantage than it is a penalty. So if you go from a hundred percent wide open DRS to now 45% under braking. So what you're doing is, all right, if you're going to use your DRS, you need to like really get past them. Mm. That's, a, a, that's kind of a way I see it where you could, you could keep DRS. Cause I think that formula one does actually really like it. For whatever reason. Yeah. I I think it's because it gives the commentator something to talk about. I I guess. But, again, we can sit in the back back corner of the room and just tell everybody that they're idiots and solve this issue, I feel like. But if you're going to keep DRS, I think the way you can do it and keep people close to each other is, all right, he's hauling ass. He caught up to him. Now it's not a, like, it'll seem like a penalty. It's like, okay, he's caught up, but he's not passing at the same rate. It's a reduction in the rate of passing than it is in the actual act of passing. If, if that makes sense. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You're saying like, it's going to help you get, it'll help you get up to the car. Yeah. And then you will still have some advantage over that car. But you still got to fight them. But now you're you're in the position where you do have to battle that car. Mm-hmm. You're, you're creating a position where now, okay, that guy's got to now fight that, that car to actually get ahead. Because, sure, he got DRS to catch up to him. Great. Now we're in our battle position. You only have 45% of your DRS for the remainder of the straight. Or if like he beats if- you under braking... Yeah. And 45% is just an arbitrary number. I'm picking something below 50 because I feel like 50% is too convenient. You, like, yeah. you, Or you could have DRS be something that has... It's essentially like, a two-stage DRS. Yeah, like a bell, or a bell curve. 
where it's like instead of opening immediately, it opens to a maximum for a certain amount of time and then starts to close. Like you have a window of opportunity. I guess that's technically I, the same as it is now, but a smaller window. I, I like that to some extent, but I also feel like that's a very easy to cheat rule. Mm. In what way? Well, if Red Bull's DRS opens at X, like infinitesimally small measurement faster than Ferrari's does. Fair enough. It's going to create a problem. Like yeah. I, I like the abrupt sudden movements on okay. the wing. I think that's Easier the right to keep thing track to do. Of, yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So it goes from a static this number down to this number, not a dynamic. Oh, it's fading in and fading out. Yeah. I like the idea. I just I I I can also foresee these morally vacant neutral. Formula One teams. <laughs> morally neutral. <laughs> yeah. Morally neutral. Morally vacant <laughs> Formula One teams when it comes to sportsmanship. Yeah. Doing whatever they damn well please. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think, yeah, I think that would help. And it's definitely a lot better than what we have now. Because what we have now is just... It is it is just a pass button. Yeah. But it's kind of sad from a sport that is so brilliant with so much other stuff that this is the... Literally, in my, it, I, I think it's the dumbest thing that they could come up with to make passing in the race more exciting and it's like how, how do you have so many smart people in one place and then the people that come up with this are just like oh well let's just do this we didn't really think about the repercussions or what it really means but it it should help people pass well yeah i mean and what i don't understand in particular is the the type of stuff that's been banned by formula one because it was a significant advantage you know the fan car the blown diffuser etc like granted these are single team entities that are that are coming up with this type of stuff gets banned in formula one fine rather than implementing that to try and create some unique racing they just ban the hell out of it and then come up with this terrible idea and go this is what's going to help with racing and it's yeah it it just didn't and it's unfortunate now because they're really screwed now with liberty media uh at the helm because Liberty Media only cares about the commercialization of the sport. Uh, I think if you think anything otherwise, uh, you should look at the Las Vegas race. Um, I forgot about that thing. <laughs> like, if you think anything other than that Liberty just wants to commercialize this sport, you're wrong. Well, look Straight at, up. Look at all of the new races that have been implemented. When was the last time we went to a new racetrack, right? Like Zandvoort would be the closest thing. No, real racetrack, though, that, not street that's circuit. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Zandvoort would be the only thing. Like, we went back to Zandvoort. Mm-hmm. Back to Imola, I guess, a couple of years ago. But yeah. it's like, there's there's no, oh, let's go to mid-Ohio. It's a great racetrack. Or let's go to VI. Like, the United States has this, we talked about it before, this amazing perfect formula one track in vir there's no reason you could not host formula one there and go yeah but miami and vegas and austin at least austin's a legit track it is it is to be fair it is and it's actually one of the best tracks on the calendar but let's too. think about the other tracks that they proposed like new jersey new york oh god the street <laughs> circuit in new york that they were trying to put <laughs> up or new i think new jersey was the worst one yeah it, it just yeah what are you doing guys yeah they they don't care basically and it's but but all to be fair all motorsports do that indycar does the same thing when they want to go to a big city they go well we're going to go to long beach let's do a street circuit well we're going to detroit let's do a street circuit like they don't they don't go let's go to michigan and then pick a a a good it's not really a whole lot of good tracks in michigan um but you get the point you know like no they're, they're not saying go to ohio and go to mid ohio 
But then again, you wouldn't go to Columbus because it's a crap city. Um, <laughs> you love Ohio, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. You know that thing called a lie? <laughs> I just said one. <laughs> yeah. But but you get my point. Like the, yeah, the, the, the what at the end of the day, what what they want to try to do, it, it doesn't matter what the motorsport is, they want to go to a big city and, and really kind of push that, hey, this is the Grand Prix of this. And yeah. it's like I also think that they just don't care about accentuating what makes this sport unique. What they care about is making this sport as profitable and as popular as possible. And that is, I will say, that's not a Liberty Media thing. That was a Bernie Eccleston thing as well. He did the same crap. Fair enough. Fair enough. It was it was the exact same crap. It's been a Formula One thing for years, man. Like, they, they just, they have their few iconic tracks that they always want to go to. Monza, Spa, Monaco, etc. Like, they have the ones that they know that they can go to and race at. But... I, I I would be willing to guarantee you, you could talk to most of the Australians and they will tell you that Melbourne is not the best track that they could be going to in Australia. And it's the same thing for it's us. Mount it's Mount Panorama. Like, well, yeah, but I can't imagine the Formula <laughs> One cars there. That would be chaos. But They'd there, have to ban certain drivers. There's, there are a lot of really good tracks in, in, in Australia that there's no reason that they couldn't go to. Yeah. All they have to do is contact the v8 supercars and be like guys what's the best one well you could go here you could go here you could go here they'd they'd have to dig up all the beer out of the sand but yeah um i mean it's the same thing here it like sure coda there's there is a very legitimate case to be made that coda is the best track in the united states and that formula one's there there is no case to be made that miami or whatever the hell they're gonna do in vegas is the second and third best tracks in the united states so i don't even really want to watch vegas I think it's going to be a... Dude, I I am 100% honest in saying this. I forgot that it existed (laughs) until you just said it again. I was like, oh, right. (laughs) Also, I'm sorry, but have you been to Vegas? No, I have no interest in going to Vegas. It's not interesting at all. All that casino strip thing? Yeah. That's like... It's like... um, Imagine going over somebody's house, and they have like a bright pink lamborghini in the garage but the rest of the house is just a disaster a trailer. that's vegas a trailer yeah and they're just like ah what do you think of that and you're just like uh, okay it's not my taste but like this is kind of cool what's how's everything else like no 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 no. this is this is, this is it right here this is the main thing yeah there's there's that's, not that's very that's many vegas places trip. on the face of the earth that are less me than vegas yeah yeah i yeah i'm not a fan I'd be much more keen on going to a city that has more horses than people than going to Vegas. I would too. That sounds way more interesting. Yeah. And and relaxing. Yeah. But my main point with saying what I said before is that Formula One historically has been about innovative engineering. I wasn't going to say technology because that's not true. It's innovative engineering. The technology stuff is more sports cars, I think. And Formula One is more about just going fast, not trying new things that will benefit like cars or just people in general. There's, there's, for the most part, there's never been the intention to have a trickle down effect. No, no, that's sports cars for sure. But, you know, it's just like, I think the focus on making it a commodity, you lose like, the sense of fun that you know 
I want to see V10s, V12s, different engine configurations, different fuels, different tires, crazy aerodynamics. I, every year, I want to be excited to see the unveiling of the Formula One cars, not to see their liveries, but to see what new things they're trying. I totally agree with you. I have a solution. What? We need to get in touch with the Saudis. <laughs> Seriously though, like, do you realize? What would you call it? What would you call it? Live the live formula live. <laughs> that would be amazing. But no, like, we'll pay Hamilton a hundred million dollars. Did you see join. what? Did you see what the Saudis just did with one of the like greatest soccer players in the world right now? Maybe the best play- soccer player in the world. Uh, let me guess. They paid him a lot of money to do something in, that they wanted him to do. So Mbappe, right? That's his name. Okay, he is. Supposedly, he's got some sort of um, bonus that will kick in if he remains at PSG, the team that he's with now. If he remains with them through August first, he gets a fifty-five million dollar bonus. So he's already getting paid a lot of he money. Just has to stay alive till that date, pretty much. Yeah, and not and not and not sign a contract with another team. Okay, okay, because there's must be something in soccer where it's like it's the like, likelihood of him okay. signing with someone. Whatever. Anyway, the Saudis. Offered him a one-year contract to come play in their league to play soccer, right? Okay. What do you think? What well, What was he? So fifty-five was fifty-five to stay. I don't know what he's making annually. Um, probably. I, I mean, even, seventy. Seventy million a year. Yeah. To go play for the Saudis. Yeah. Literally multiply that by ten. They offered him over seven hundred million dollars to go play one year. <laughs> <laughs> the Saudis, and then they. Here's the thing: is the here's the kicker. You what? can go ahead and go play anywhere else you want afterwards. What? <laughs> Who's paying him? The government? Do, that's not something we need to get into on this podcast. But <laughs> my point is, what? what we need to do is propose a new formula of racing, where we just what we what we've said. Give them 100 kilograms of fuel and say, go for it. You guys have no restrictions outside of that. And then we propose it at the Saudis, and they will fund us. You know, the, the Saudis have tried some crazy things. I guarantee you, if you pitch the idea of a Formula One-esque series, but better, more interesting, crazier, they would 100% This is my point, it. yeah. I'm really hoping that- some Saudi prince is listening to this podcast. <laughs> in, in case you're doubting me right now, look up... I don't remember what it's called. It might be the line. Have you seen this? No. They want to build a city in a line in the desert. Why a line? Because it's going to be like, imagine two like- the Vegas Strip? Is that what they're trying to recreate? No. No, it's going to be a self-contained, like autonomous sort of, like it has everything it needs to sustain itself within this like, essentially think Great Wall of China, but taller. And within the wall is like schools- in shops and Dude, places this sounds to like live. Mad Max type of stuff. Oh like. no 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 no! But yeah, but like, I, it, this is so hard to describe. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm not following it all, and I'm concerned now. Imagine like <laughs> a 200 foot wall. Yeah, that goes for like hundreds of miles in the desert. Okay, and within that wall, that's like 200 feet tall, maybe 200 feet or 100 feet in in width. Okay. That's, okay. You, you have a city in it. Yeah, I get that. So you're what you're doing is building a mall. And yeah. you're just telling people to live inside the mall. Kind of. 
with all of the yeah but but what i'm saying they take this they've tried stuff like that that's not the only thing oh no no i know i know they're crazy yeah i'm aware like i said there's a lot of reasons that we don't need to get into on this podcast (laughs) as to why they are doing the things they are doing (laughs) my point is if we want to develop some sort of super formula there's your there's your name right there, right? You're not wrong. Okay. You're not wrong. Or we could get really intense with it and call it Mega Formula. Um, we just reach out to the Saudis. Like I said, I have a solution for everything. I'm the dude with the bourbon in the corner. I've got a solution. It's like, <laughs> you know, you're not wrong, though. The solution is valid. It's just not the solution that people would want to hear. You'd no, but al- would... You'd always be right. It would always solve the problem. Yeah. Anyway, you're welcome. <laughs> I think we were talking about DRS. I think DRS brought us onto that topic. <laughs> From DRS to Saudis. <laughs> uh, I could make that the episode title. <laughs> That'll get people's attention. Uh, <clears throat> so, aside from that, uh, I have to say the race was. I mean, like I said, man, that. that... The only thing from the race that I gathered was that just horrific move by Guan Yu Zhou. The dude, like, yeah, forgot to good. start his car. Yeah. And then went just flying down the straight and smoked Ricardo, who ran into one of the two Alpines that ran into the other Alpine, both Alpines DNF. And it's like, what? And Guan Yu Zhou is like, I just carry on. It's like, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, that driver, yeah. He made some comments about Spa. How do you like that transition? Um, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> so his comments on Spa. I think we're done with <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fair enough. Uh, like I said, that's all that happened. Yeah. So. so he said Spa needed to be changed. Specifically, mm. well, actually, let me not say specifically because I sort of brushed over all the articles I read. But essentially, he made some comments that it needs to be changed or something needs to be done to either Rouge or Spa to make it safer. And right before so coming coming from someone with such significant clout in the sport, you know, I agree. I agree. If I was him, I wouldn't have said something like that. However, this apparently comes off the heels of somebody did uh, get killed uh, in a formula car at Spa mm-hmm. earlier uh, this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also there were previously, uh, not that long ago, other fatalities at Spa or... Uh, there's at least one that I'm thinking of, aside from the one earlier this month, which is bad. And both of them were T-bone accidents, basically. Like, they spun out at the top of Rouge, basically, cars coming. The most recent one was in the rain, no visibility, car parallel on the track, another one T-bones it. And uh, I didn't look into the details of the accident itself. I don't think it's relevant, and um, if you want to know, you can go look it up, I'm sure. But... Uh, what I wanted to talk about is I don't anytime I hear those kind of comments the rational uh, protective part of my brain that's like no you can't change spa right spa is spa a rouge is a rouge that's that Um, but I do think there's some validity especially in the rain um, where visibility is really bad uh, but we've also seen that before. So I'm curious your thoughts on if something should be done about the track itself. And if so, what should it be? And also, 
is rain and the visibility in the rain suddenly an issue that we should take seriously, even though we haven't in the past? Because also uh, some other drivers are making comments. Uh, I think it was LeClaire was saying something like, you know, don't be upset if the race gets canceled or we stop running in the rain, basically, because of the visibility. And again, the rational part of my brain wants to be like, they're only saying this because there was a recent accident. If there wasn't a recent accident, they wouldn't be saying these things. However, that doesn't make the logic invalid necessarily, but it's like, it, I kind of look at it and go, you know, if we if it was just business of, as usual, nobody would care and we would just run spa the way spa is. So what, what are your thoughts? There's a lot there, but what yeah. are your thoughts? And there's a lot for me to follow up with, so uh, bear with me on this one. <clears throat> because... There's a couple of things that jump out to me in what happened. Any death in motorsports is a tragedy. And that's obvious and it's cliche to say, but it's also something that needs to be said. Especially because they're so rare. Correct. Which is exactly the reasoning why we do not need to be messing with many of these tracks. With that said, I think it's also courageous for somebody like Charles Leclerc or Guangzhou Yu or Guan Guan Yuzhou whatever however the i commend names. you for attempting yeah um i and i mean no disrespect and mispronouncing his name i simply don't remember how to do it um there is something courageous in their sentiment in that it's similar to what jackie stewart did in the 70s where he is trying to pursue safety for the sake of the drivers yep which we look back on probably as a good thing, right? I would say certainly universally. Look, yes, certainly we look back on on Jackie Stewart is maybe the single most important individual in motorsports history, because I'm not sure motorsports survives in today's climate with the amount of death that it had when so, he was pursuing that. It's like Jackie X at Le Mans when he protested the start. Yes, it's with the seatbelts and stuff. Yes, it's kind of like that. Yeah, so. Uh, there is something courageous in the drivers doing that. I also think at the same time that it's somewhat of blind courage in a way in that the cars are not that inherently dangerous anymore. There are incidents where things can go wrong. Drivers can get seriously injured. Drivers can die. This is something that you sign up for as a driver of the motorsport. And I understand that that is the same exact statement that would have been made when Jackie Stewart was making the protest that he was making back in the day. The difference is that death is so incredibly rare, especially in Formula One, that we are not comparing apples to apples any longer. This is the type of situation where this is a track where, yes, there was a death in a smaller formula if you will where safety regulations are going to inherently be less than what they would be in formula one and maybe those changes need to be made for those formulas as for formula one we don't have death at spa that doesn't mean that there won't be that doesn't mean that there can't be but you don't change an iconic track because there was a death Sakuba had a very heavy rain a fluke accident Jules Bianchi died Suzuka what did I say? Sakuba. Sorry. <laughs> you had me yes. going for I was like, damn, what did I miss at Sakuba? Yeah. yeah, okay. I I apologize I, I, I for missing my TSKUs. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is 
you don't change an incredibly iconic track because a death occurred. And as tragic as Jules Bianchi's death was, and as much as it really shook the Formula One world because that was the first one we had had in the motorsport since Senna, yeah, nothing at Suzuka changed. Yeah, it wasn't even related to racing, really. Correct. It was just a f- fluke thing. There are dangerous accidents at the top of the Rouge regularly. If you as a driver don't want to sign up for that, then you as a driver do not need to race at that. There are plenty of other drivers that will sign up for it. That doesn't make your life disposable. That doesn't make your life or your decision meaningless. It just simply means that that's what you chose to do as an individual, that you value your life more than this race. And that doesn't necessarily mean that this race is guaranteed to kill you. Because that's the other thing is you you can see both sides of the spectrum. I think you need to take a very nuanced view in this. And it's not it's not a nuanced in the sense that it's difficult to come to this conclusion. It's just you got to sit back and go, look, guys, there's a very large gray area here. This is a dangerous corner. It's also probably the most iconic corner in all of Formula One and needs to remain that way. And people don't die at this corner in Formula One anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't in the future, but it isn't happening on a regular basis where I think it merits change. As far as rain is concerned, I don't think you change the track based on weather conditions. I understand... Stopping the track because this, the conditions are not suitable. I get that Spa ha- is is very notorious for having large, heavy downpours that can really affect visibility. But again, Formula One's been racing there many years in the rain, many times. I don't think... I, I get the concern from the drivers, but I find it interesting that at the same time, We're not hearing from Fernando Alonso. We're not hearing from Lewis Hamilton. We're not hearing from Max Verstappen. We're not hearing from Daniel Ricciardo. We're not hearing the drivers that are at the top of the grid. We're not hearing from them. We're hearing from the guys that are kind of hanging in there. And And I say that knowing that Charles Leclerc is in a Ferrari. He's just hanging in there. That dude is, that seat's not safe, man. That's a different topic, but I like, yeah. My my point is that your top of the field seat secure drivers aren't complaining about Spa. I'm curious to see what those drivers think, especially some of the more experienced drivers uh, who've been in the sport a while. It's got to be a scary corner. Oh, I I think it's easily the most terrifying corner. Uh, in I'm trying to think of any other track that has a sketchier corner. If the corkscrew was faster, I could see it. Yeah, but it's not. It's it's so slow, it's okay, but it's it's equally as blind. Probably yeah. more blind. But Spa is not inherently dangerous. Spa is dangerous, I think, for certain reasons that... It's sort of like at Indy. You know, we say Indy's really dangerous, and just in general... A fast oval is dangerous with open wheel cars. Is that not what you signed up for? I mean, that's no. Abs- Sorry, make your point. I yeah, yeah. Like, but I see it kind of like that. It's it's not, and you know, those ovals are dangerous because if a car comes down from the top of the track to the inside, they're cutting across all those cars, right? If you go off at Sebring somewhere, like you go off, you might come back into the track, but you're not doing two fifty. Yeah, you know, and down the straightaway. Nobody's just going to randomly, I mean, even if they did, you'd see it coming. You know, it's 
it's like not a real situation outside of just a really random thing happening. But going up a rouge, somebody could very easily uh, go straight on or uh, go to the right, bounce off the wall, and come back toward the track. Mm-hmm. We've seen it before. Yeah. That's the most dangerous thing about it, and the fact that it's a blind corner. Now, the rain obviously takes away your visibility, but the issue is still the same. The issue, fundamentally, is that the way the track and the barriers are set up right now is that you essentially redirect cars back out onto the circuit. And it's really interesting... Try to bear with me with this description, because let me know if it doesn't make sense. The outside barrier on a rouge, it's kind of funny because theoretically that gives the, you know, more space for the car to slow down or whatever, but all it really does is redirect the car toward the top of the track where it's not visible. If that, if the wall hugged the actual turn, like, yeah, somebody could go straight into that wall. But it's pretty unlikely. You're coming down the front straightaway. It's not... It's high speed for these kinds of cars, but it's not, like, the fastest point of the track. And if they did go into the wall there, it wouldn't be a straight-on hit. It would be a grazing hit that I think would redirect them back onto the immediate track, like where drivers can see them, or across it onto the other side. I think the way the barriers are set up now, which ironically, they were probably done to make it safer, in air quotes. I think it's made it more dangerous because you have no idea what's going to be at the top of that hill. And once you get past the top of the hill, even if you do wipe out and you hit the wall or something, you're going to be moving pretty far down the track before you have a situation where somebody can run into you, unless it's in the rain. That's exactly the point. Is like At the end of the day, is the, the collisions occur at the crest of the hill. Exactly. That's the problem area. But... That's, again, I don't know the geography of the track, like what's actually outside of the track. I know the, the, the track boundaries, I understand yeah. that, but I don't know what's outside. I don't see any reason you couldn't widen the boundaries because that's not a corner where they're exceeding track limits. You know, that's not the type of location where it's like, okay, if I go outside real wide here, then I gain a significant advantage. If if you can remove the barrier, add a gravel trap, whatever, just come up with some solution to stop the cars from bouncing back onto the track, fine. If that's what uh, Guangzhou Yu and, and, and Charles Leclerc are, are saying, that's fine. But my interpretation is we need to significantly change the corner. Yeah. Like change the track itself. And, and that's not acceptable. A hundred percent. hundred percent agree. And I do think something needs to be done to capture cars that go offline. I think if you were to try to... Carefully, though, because... I. I I agree with you in some sense. You don't you don't want to capture them so much to the point where they are now immediately out of the race. Yeah, for if a they mistake. like go offline or something. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean like. No, I don't even mean go offline. I mean like if they make contact with the wall, optimally. Like that's one thing I really like about IndyCar is that when they go off track, they are often able to get back on track, get to the pits, and continue the race. Yeah. Yes. Whereas in Formula One, they're often off the track and immediately out of the race. Yeah. And I think that's down mostly to. Tire barriers are good, but they really swallow up cars and mm-hmm. just do, like, weird damage I'm to them. I'm a big fan of gravel traps, man. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. It'd be, probably be tough to do a gravel trap, but let me say this. There are a lot smarter people than me 
that could figure out a solution here. Yes. I'm just sort of voicing my opinion that something should be done, I think, if it's if it if it is enough of a concern between the drivers and the FIA that they do think something should be done, then what needs to be done is to capture the cars so that they do not end up at the crest of the hill blind to the oncoming drivers. Right. That's that's fair. I I've got That's the next iterative step. This everything should be done in iterative steps, you know? And it's like that's the next step to be like, okay, let's do that. If that works, great. We didn't mm-hmm. have to change the track, which is important to the sport. You know, it's extremely iconic. Um, you can't change a it rouge is, and it still be a rouge. <laughs> I, I I think there is a legitimate case to be made that Spa is the single most iconic track for Formula One. Yeah. I understand Monaco. I understand Monza. I get both of those as an argument. I do actually think that Spa is the most, for the for the people that are really following Formula One and following the racing in Formula One, it is all Spa. Yeah. And I don't... The irony... And you can't mess with it. Yeah, the irony is not lost on me that this is not the original Spa also. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. like, I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is that this corner is a famous corner in motorsport. And if at all possible, the the thing that should be done is to make it safe so well, that we can continue to have this corner. And instead of just saying, well, let's just change this. Because clearly, it's been changed before and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So... Whatever you do needs to actually work. I also think it's really important, too, for people to recognize that just because somebody says, look, this is what you signed up for, and that doesn't necessarily diminish the fact that safety, like, that doesn't, you need to look at these as two separate things. This is what you signed up for. This is a dangerous corner. This is a dangerous job. That also doesn't mean that at the same time, you can't pursue safety to no end. This like the drive. It's one of those things where I think when drivers are making comments about the, the the how dangerous a corner is or something like that, it's something you can take in and go, yes, I understand. It's also you can hit sit back at them and go, look, dude, you're in a Formula One car. This like what what part of this is safe? You're going around these corners at 180 miles an hour. Like you are flying through some of these things. It and. Eruge is not this uniquely dangerous corner well, on the gri- on the calendar. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of dangerous tracks and corners. Um, you know, supposedly Jeddah is one of the more dangerous tracks, and I tend to agree with that too because it seems really blind. Mm-hmm. A lot of blind corners. Uh, we saw that a lot in practice well, where people at, are trying to avoid people who are going slowly. Was it 130R? It's an incredibly high-speed corner mm-hmm. in, in Suzuka. Yeah. So I think you'd suffer from something that all people suffer from in general is that it's assessing risk because when there's like a paradox that happens and this is me just going off on like a a tangent of what I think happens but when we live in such a safe way any risk becomes the biggest risk we take in that given sphere of you know whatever your bubble is uh so in this case the drivers because formula one cars have have become so safe this is probably one of the biggest risks that they face on the calendar and that's yeah it's certainly within the top 10 yeah probably within the top five the thing that we have trouble assessing as as like humans is when at what point do you decide that's an acceptable risk and and i don't mean like as the driver because the driver can make that decision easily you go am i going to get in the car am i not going to get in the car Mm -hmm. they can make that decision 
what I think is a much harder thing is like people on the outside saying at what point, you know, let's say back in the day, they may have said, oh, well, only one driver died this year. Good year. Don't need to change anything. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, even if there's a crash. That doesn't mean there's not a pursuit for no drivers. Yeah. But you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's a weird thing where it's like, when is it okay? When is it not? It's really hard to make that distinction. And that's why I argue it should be the next iterative step and everything should be done in iterative steps instead of just going, you know, I, like I demolishing that, the corner and just making it one straightaway. You know? I agree. Yeah. I, I, and I think there's a, there's a good um, parallel with warfare, right? Mm-hmm. So when any, any country, you, you name your country, it doesn't have to be the United States, but any country that has soldiers that are sent off to war, they are not just handed a firearm and a t-shirt and said, go on and go get it, right? Like, that's not a thing. Guess what they do? We're going to give you night vision goggles because that's going to help you see at night. Oh, wow, that's an interesting thing. Okay, so if I see at night, I'm safer, right? Yeah, okay. We're going to give you a helmet. So that way, if you do get shot in the head by a small enough round, it's not going to penetrate your helmet. Wow, that's safer, right? So, oh, let's give you some sort of bulletproof armor, some sort of vest, right? Some plate carrier. Okay, huh, that's interesting. Again, constantly in the pursuit of safety but what is your job at the end of the day your job is still to go do the task that you've been given which is likely to go kill somebody that is your job who's going to be shooting back at you yes it's sort of the same parallel with racing right like what is your job to go win the race is going really fast around a track and inherently dangerous yes it is incredibly dangerous what are we going to do to try and make sure that you are as safe as possible? Well, we're going to do everything we can in our power to give you a flame retardant suit, some sort of Hans device, an incredibly safe crash structure in your, around you. I mean, look at what happened with Roman Grosjean a couple of years ago where he went oh, through yeah. a barrier and then caught on fire. Yeah. And he had some severe burns on his wrist. But outside of that, like, the dude was fine. Yeah, which incredible. was incredible. He is dead. 15 20 years ago yeah guaranteed so it we can still do things that are high risk at the pursuit of safety or so long as there is a pursuit of safety occurring at the same point yeah it's risk mitigation exactly and i don't think that the best solution for reducing this this risk this mitigating this risk is changing the circuits it should be the last solution it should be yeah the I'm not going to use that phrase. It should <laughs> it should be the last solution. Yeah. Fair enough. I I should have thought about that. <laughs> or, oh man. Uh that would that was a very close bad Freudian slip there. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, it's a and you know, it's a sensitive topic and I think it's a serious topic, but it should be treated as such. It shouldn't just be knee jerk hey, something happened, let's just, like, completely wash this thing with safety. I agree. It should be, what actually happened that caused this, and how do we mitigate that specific thing from happening? Well, it goes back to, like, what I said. Here's the thing. It's like, okay, so initially, when I said that happened in a lower formula where safety regulations are not as high, we don't need to be going and changing things for Formula One. What that inherently says is, your safety standards as a lower class in in some sort of formula racing is not acceptable. Yeah. I get that it costs a lot to go say to go fix safety in your vehicle, whatever it is, to come up with some sort of safety regulations or some sort of safety, new safety designs and whatnot. 
it's expensive. I get it. But they, they should be built to the worst case scenario. Yes, optimally. But even if they're not, again, it, it goes back to what you the phrase you use, risk mitigation. You need to do everything you can to make sure that anything that could go wrong is r- approximately covered. Because yeah. you're never going to cover everything. But you don't change an entire sequence of motorsports and a track that hosts several different motorsports because some guy, not to diminish his death, again, it's a tragedy, but some guy passed away in a smaller series in some sort of smaller formula what is it f2000 or something you know you come up with a series whatever it may be you cannot change an entire iconic track in its history because that happened when that doesn't happen in a higher formula yeah that would be like a a kid passing away in a on the field in a random football practice and they go you know what no more football not happening anymore can't do it if it exceeds 90 degrees no football it's like well, I'll geez, give you an example. Guys, like... In our community, they have a 30-mile-an-hour speed limit, and there's several crosswalks throughout. Yeah. Somebody got hit at one of the crosswalks. Okay. So the knee-jerk reaction was to lower the speed limit in that area. Only in that area or throughout the Only in that area. Okay. Which, one, like you said, why are the other areas fine, even though there's crosswalks there? But the reality of the situation is I drive through there every day, so I know. There's bushes right where the crosswalk is. You know, like where a median, it's got a median, and there's a bunch of bushes there. You can't see anything. In the most Floridian way, yes. And so it always cracks me up whenever I think about it. And I'm like, yeah, let's lower the speed limit, but let's still make sure that they can't see anything coming or anybody crossing. The good news is when you get hit by a car at 25, it does not hurt as much as a car at 30. (laughs) Exactly that, too. Like, it... And it's like, oh, so-and-so wasn't paying attention, so they hit somebody. Better lower the speed limit. Guess what? The next uh, teenage girl that comes through texting, not looking, at 20 miles an hour, if she's following the speed limit, oh, that, that'll definitely improve the situation. Yeah. Oh, it won't, yeah. because they're not paying attention. They're slightly less dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whatever happened in that event should be analyzed, and they should figure out exactly. And it's funny. I was Again, listening nuance. Yeah. Like, I was listening to something the other day. Uh, I'm sure you know this fact. Most people know this fact because they hear it all the time. Air travel is much, much safer than driving to work, right? Yes. Driving in a car. Yep. Yet we inherently see flying as more dangerous. But the reason air travel is safe is because when there is an accident, there's an investigation. They figure out exactly what went wrong, and they do everything they can to prevent that from happening. There's contingency plans. There's all sorts of stuff to ensure near 100% reliability of the plane. If something does break, like I said, there's contingencies. There's backup plans. There's all sorts of stuff, and that's what I think needs to be done in these kind of high-profile sports and situations is that what happened, launch a full investigation, figure out exactly what happened, and prevent it from ever happening again. I, I agree in the in the death aspect of it when it comes yes. to death. Yeah. I, because the thing is, is like at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do when you're falling from thousands of feet. Like, yeah. Generally yeah. speaking, when you crash your car, there's a good chance you survive. When you crash your plane, there's a good chance you're dead. Like, it's true. It's true. So it does make sense to have those standards. But with that said, those are the exact same sort of standards that should apply to high-level formula racing because guess what happens? Yeah. When you crash your car, it's not good. Yeah, you might be okay because the standards have gotten that that good. 
but there's also a really good chance at 200 miles an hour in a barrier, you're dead. Yeah. I, I think, unfortunately, this like, is... Like, the fact that we don't have more deaths in motorsports is insane. It is. It's insane. And we can't... Like, in such a good way. Yeah, and we can't take that lightly. And I was going to say, unfortunately, this is an opportunity to improve the safety, you know? And often that's the catalyst, right? Like, you're not going to change anything unless it needs to be changed. So this has given whatever organizer, whoever made the car, I don't know, like I said, I don't know the exact details. I just know that it was a a T-bone style yeah. accident. Um, so if that uh, crash structure failed, if the crash structure on the car that impacted him, if the nose was too strong and it should have, you know, compressed. Crumpled a little more, yeah. Because yeah. like, I know for a fact they do T-bone crash tests or they should be doing T-bone crash tests because that's like worst case scenario. Right. Um, so that's that's what needs to be investigated and changed and proved so that it does not happen again. Yeah. That's that's the you, moral of the story. You are not a hypocrite if you can sit back and simply say that safety needs to constantly be investigated and improved. Tracks do not need to be changed unless that is the final Unless that's what's scenario. determined yeah, like, is the best thing yeah. to do. And that every death is a tragedy. All three of those things can coexist together. Exactly. Yes, deaths should not happen in racing. Sure, let's keep investigating every th- single thing and improve safety to no end. Also, stop changing tracks for the hell of it. it, it, in, it in the in the guise of safety. Yes. You know, because, like I said, I, I'm going to, we'll have to look after this at like a top view of a Rouge. I mean, um, Hockenheim is a perfect example that has been completely neutered. Yeah. In Under the guise of safety. Well, a I think. A formerly fantastic racetrack that is well, just a. Also, Le Mans. Like, yeah. the, the uh, chicanes down the straightaway. Like I don't understand how those are safer, safer, but that's a that's a topic for a. <laughs> you, you saw where I was going. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, yes, they're doing 210 miles an hour. Oh, but there's a couple chicanes, so they're not doing 210 miles an hour the whole time. Yeah, only yeah. for three parts. Yeah, of they're it. doing 210 miles an hour, and then they're stopping where a collision could occur, yeah. <laughs> and then going fast again. Yeah. You're like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Now, granted, they were doing like probably 250. They'd probably before. be doing 300 miles an hour down. Yeah, that yeah. So right it's now. like, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I still don't. Yeah, I, st- I still don't get it. But Fund- fundamentally, on. it's it's kind of silly. Um, but also, I think above all, the cars need to be safe. And it's like, would you get in a fighter plane and go do maneuvers pulling nine Gs if that plane wasn't rated for like fifteen? You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not going to push the exact limit of the vehicle. But what I'm saying is, like planes like that, they're they're overbuilt, right? Yeah, of course. You can't you can over G them. You're just not supposed to because it will start to damage them. But within their limits, you are good to go. And especially modern planes, with all the electronic flight controls and stuff, it's like you just do whatever you want to do, and the plane can take it. it. That's how it should be with Formula One safety. Yeah, you, you also could... make me think if there's a. Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was uh, just going to reiterate. You make you make me think if there's a point of diminishing return as well when it comes to lower series, right? So, is there a certain point where the cars have gotten so fast that the drivers at that stage in their careers are not skilled enough to handle a vehicle that fast? I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know enough about the lower I think, series. I think you can get used to a car. Don't get me wrong. And and there's going to be exceptions to the rule that can certainly succeed in very difficult to drive cars. But 
you it, it it again i don't know what series we're referring to that that this fatality occurred in yeah but let's take for example that it may be something along the lines of formula 2000 or something f2000 yeah. right yeah. like a, a very very low down formula series the likelihood of you having formula one skilled drivers in that series is very low but if you're getting to 1990s formula one speeds maybe not quite that yeah, fast yeah, but something along those lines that the individuals driving in that series are not likely to be capable of of handling those cars and at that point do we need to slow the cars down? You know, do like, is that the type of thing where what, again, you're getting away from, I don't, maybe the track isn't the problem. Maybe it's these other ex- extenuating circumstances that are yeah. occurring. Well, I, I would definitely say that maybe less so now, but definitely not too long ago, the lower series were much more dangerous cars in terms of safety. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at uh, a Formula Ford, like, are you kidding me? That thing is like has no safety at all. Look at the difference between IndyCar and Formula One throughout the early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, in, IndyCar had multiple fatalities. Yeah, Formula One had nothing. Yeah, because they took nothing. it seriously. They took it very seriously. It was a huge black mark on there. Yeah, and uh, another thing before I forget, why are there not more spotter systems in Formula One? You mean the way there are in IndyCar? Yeah. Where there's a guy just yelling in someone's ear. Yeah, just like like on your left, on your right, crash at the top of a rouge. Like if you were at the bottom of a rouge and you heard crash at the top, crash at the top, crash at the top, you know cresting that hill, somebody is, there's debris, somebody's just stuck get in the track. It. Yeah, slow down. Yeah. Or the race organizers need to hit that yellow flag button immediately. Yeah, I, again, I mean, it. it I, I agree. It does come back to how... How do we have Formula One with the technology that we have and not have something? I, I, I've always thought about this. Your visor is effectively an LCD screen, right? Yeah, why don't they have a HUD? Why Exactly. Why is there not a big, bright, flashing yellow light, like very clearly caution? Boom. Immediately. There's you know, no excuse. You know, and then just as simple, like even even as simple as that, it, you, can, you can have something along the lines of if the spotter can sit back and go, if he knows, guy on your left, guy on your left, I'm thinking like a like an FPS, right? Like a first-person shooter. We've all played video games. Uh, I would imagine the, the most of our listeners yeah, are yeah. young enough to have done so as well. When you get shot, you have a very very obvious indicator it's coming from this direction, right? Yeah. Your spotter could very easily train on a a, a pad that has eight buttons or whatever and says, "Look, car on your left," and just keep tapping this and you're seeing this little red icon in your visor or little whatever color you decide. It's just an indicator saying car, 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 right? Or proximity sensors on the car itself. It could, yeah. You could, I mean, you the could, Corvettes you could, use that. Most of the cars in IMSA have that. So, but why is that not incorporated in the visor? There's no way Formula One doesn't have the technology or the money to be able to do that. They could absolutely do that. Also, that got me thinking, if it was a perfect solution, I think a perfect solution for the rain issue. Thermal cameras or, uh, or uh, infrared cameras that you can either project onto the steering wheel or, like you said, onto the visor as some sort of overlay because then you know what is through the rain. Yeah. Why couldn't that be done? I know for a fact that that could be done. We have the technology. Yeah. 
Maybe the refresh rate isn't as good. That's why I was like, maybe you could put it on the steering Who cares wheel at that point. Yeah, Just but get something. Yeah, it's in a as a reference tool. You right. know, it's like you're not trying to read the sponsorship on the car. You just need to know that there's a blob. You need there. a heat signature. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So and and that there's no way in hell that exhaust pipe coming out of the back is not providing enough of a heat oh, signature. Oh, it should be pretty visible unless the spray acts as enough of a barrier. But there's no way. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I I say that as not having any degree in this yeah. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but there's no way in hell that rain is. Yeah. Also, you know, we used to have the infrared views on the tires. Yeah, yeah, we did. I wonder I wonder what that, like... Where, where did that go, and also why is that technology more incorpor- not more incorporated? Right? Yeah. So, some thoughts there. Um, Glad we solved again. Solving the world's problems. Bourbon in the corner, man, I'm telling you. One episode at a time. All right, let's end it there. Um, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, that was an interesting one. I think I liked this one. Yeah, I felt good about this yeah, podcast. I hope our good. listeners did because if they didn't, I'd sound like a goober. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for watching. Oh man, now it's a now it's a good episode because I screwed that up. Yeah, thanks for listening. Should I repeat it at the end so that way we Please double don't. blooper it? Please don't. <laughs> uh, We'll see you next time. If you want to follow us, it's Motorsports and Focus on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or X, or whatever it's called now. Um, See you next time. Thanks.